You're about to get stuck into another edition of the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast, breaking down all of the action from a racing weekend in the world of Formula One. And if you like what you hear and what you see, you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on all good podcasting outlets, including Spotify, Anchor.fm, our host and iTunes as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the subscribe button down below to stay up to date with all of our content there. And if you like the musings of you and Gail, Sam Hall or Ian Parks, Follow Twitter or Instagram at GPFansGlobal to stay up to date with all of the breaking news in the world of Formula One, or even just get on the website, gpfans.com. But now, let's get into the show. Do you want the Queen or do you want Ian? I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix from this last Sunday, and this GP Fan Stewards Room podcast could be a big one. The brawn-brained boffins of Sam Hall, Ewan Gale, and Ian Parks joining me, as always, to break down the action from a racing Sunday in the world of Formula One. Gentlemen, I know we're restricted for time today a little bit, and there's a lot to get into. So rather than going around the horn, Ian, I just want to kick things off with you before we get involved in what took place on Sunday. Can we just talk about Saudi Arabia as a host country for the Formula One this weekend? Because there was a lot of debate and discussion about F1 going to Saudi Arabia and the street circuit that was Jeddah. We'll get into the track later. But as a host nation, how have you found it being out there in the sand? I wasn't actually physically in the sand, but yeah, (laughs) I know what you mean, mate. I know where you're coming from. Um, As a whole, they couldn't have been more welcoming to be honest, but that was always going to be the case because they want to portray themselves in a good light. Quite naturally, what you hear about as to why Saudi Arabia has this poor reputation, its shocking human rights record, you don't get to see that. Um, Mm. It's all in the background. I can only speak from what I've experienced over the course of these past few days. And as I say, the people have been very welcoming, very hospitable. Um, They've put on a good show for the most part. Um, But there will always still be this slight concern in the background. Is Formula One doing the right thing in being in a country like this? It's planted a flag in that sand, shall we say. Um, let's see whether it can hold up um, or whether it just gets sucked, on, sucked under at some point. But for now, as a start, it is a reasonable start. Let's put it that way. And you bring up flags. So we can talk about the race now from Sunday and get into all of the action because, well, two red flags, so many yellow flags and a whole lot of virtual safety cars and everything to get into. Sam Hall, what happened? What actually happened on Sunday? I'm trying to think in my mind of everything that went down. There's too much to get into, but we're going to need to talk about Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen and the number of incidents, the litany of incidents that were scattered ac- across the Dre- Jeddah street circuit. Blimey. 
Yeah, I think the easier question is what didn't happen, really. There was, there was so much that did happen, it's it's almost impossible to list everything that did. Um, obviously, Max gets five-second time penalty for going off the track and retaining an advantage or gaining an advantage in his defence against Lewis Hamilton. Um, in the pits, in the initial red flag period of the two that we had, he gets put back a posi- or gets put back two positions behind Lewis. Lewis um, again for similar infringements, and then we had that clash. Um, Max fans will say he was allowed. He was slowing down to let Lewis pass, and look at all that extra track that was beside him that Lewis could have gone into. Lewis fans will say, well, we brake tested, and the FIA agree with that because he got a 10-second penalty for that and two penalty points on his license. I'm losing my voice because I'm talking so quickly about this. This is great. Um, but yeah, no, it's there's arguments for both corners and I wouldn't say either either camp is wrong. I think lines were 100% crossed by both drivers, I think, um, across the weekend. Um, because if Max suddenly had a reliability problem and was slowing, would Lewis really have gone into the back of him like he did when... It, it was all tactics it, I think Martin Brundle on Sky described it as dirty tactics on both parts um, which I mean normally Martin sort of he's fairly down the middle and tells it straight um, on the commentary but there he was very very effusive on this and uh, yeah no it, I, I enjoyed it I loved it as a spectacle but as a Grand Prix it, it, it needs some work I can see you, Ian, nodding your head along with what some of Sam has been saying. Let's let's talk about the attempted giving back of the position on lap 38 then that saw the two drivers' title contenders running into each other, or should I say Lewis Hamilton running into the back of Max Verstappen. Ian, brake test or Hamilton not taking the room and trying to avoid the tactical overtake that Max Verstappen was trying to steer him into before that DRS line? which would give Max the best opportunity to then retake the position back. Where do you stand on this line? Which camp are you in? Are you in Team Max or Team Hamilton? There's no fence sitting today, surely. No, because well, in this case, that you can do a little bit of both because, that yes, there was a bit of brake testing going on. The FIA stewards report concluded that makes... Uh, Matt, makes? We've both got uh, slight <laughs> speaking problems today, Bob. But, oh, we're going well yeah, today. This is a good I think one. We you can just... tell everyone's been working hard last night. It's fine. That's the, that's the reason. Should we just start from the very beginning? No, no. <laughs> that, that, as I say, in the FA Stewards report, they quite clearly showed that Max did break what they described uh, uh, as being in an... Oh, good God. As being in an erratic <laughs> way that word erratic and quite clearly from Lewis perspective he did not want to overtake at that given point because they knew that they were coming up to the DRS zone and if he overtook Max at that point Max would just simply quite catch him at, uh, throughout the, for the, with the DRS down the straight um, so it was quite clear that neither wanted to give way neither wanted to do the right thing and we ended up having what, as we saw, were, were dirty tactics. But from dirty is perhaps a bit too strong of a word, I think, from Martin. I can understand where he's coming from. But also, I think there was a, a good point made by Christian Horner post-race where he described Lewis as being very wily. And it, he knows pretty much, given his experience, how to 
let's say, do a similar kind of thing as Max, but perhaps more in a in a clever, well, in that wily kind of way that ensures he doesn't get the penalty, whereas Max is just like a bit more gung-ho, a bit more blatant, and he doesn't seem to care what the circumstances might be. And therefore, that's why, at the moment, well, certainly in that race, he got pulled up twice. And primarily, of course, with that five-second penalty for effectively pushing Lewis off the track and gaining elastic advantage. So it swings and roundabouts. We've seen it all season, to be fair, and I've no doubt we're probably going to see a little bit more of it in Abu Dhabi. I'd be amazed if that race is clean. I really would. If they're both on the front <laughs> row again. You know, if they're in close proximity to, close proximity to one another. Um, Are you going to say it? Is he going to say it? Go on. What, go go what, on what, Max just might go for that kind of move. And oh, they, there we go. That they there, take, yeah. that they take each other out. They, I'm glad he said in on me. Nil, There's the grenade for the episode. <laughs> the, nil, the nil score, the Max wins on uh, race victories because he's got nine to so Lewis's eight. They took each other out in Monza. Who's to say there won't be that? Who said there's not, there couldn't be a repeat of that incident? Well, we've we've all said, haven't we? I think we we agreed with it in Brazil, and I think we can agree with it from uh, from Sunday's race that. Yeah, the reason they haven't crashed at the moment is because Lewis hasn't been able to afford a crash. I think he's pretty much turned out of the incident. So, you know, whether that happens again in Abu Dhabi, if it's if it so comes to that, we don't know. I think what Ian said about what Christian uh, Horner said about Lewis there, uh, being wily, I mentioned to Sam yesterday, or well, during the race, that Mercedes and Lewis, it felt like they had Red Bull and Max in the palm of their hand a little bit all the little shenanigans in the restart phase um, you know where they were getting Max a little bit riled up riled up and then obviously Max had the poor start Hamilton went through that's what triggered all of that and it just felt like that experience was starting to show through absolutely um, with the brake test I didn't think it was anything wrong from Max I thought it was he, he was trying to get out of the way okay he was trying to get the DRS he was a little bit all over the road but again, as, as the other two have said, Lewis um, Lewis was as much to fault with that, I think, as Max was. Um, so I think that 10-second penalty was extremely harsh. What I do question is, again, going back to the FIA safety drive. If, we've, if, if they've decided that a driver has brake-tested someone at the fastest part of a circuit, in a circuit of that nature... Does that not warrant more than a 10-second penalty and two penalty points when we've seen what other penalties handed out for other things can bring? You know, that's such a dangerous thing to do if you are brake-testing another competitor because if both had lost a wheel there with a bit more of a heavy impact, then you'd have two cars around a blind corner sat in the middle of the racetrack because of a so-called brake test. That's what they found, so... I I worry a little bit about the precedent that only giving a 10-second penalty for a perceived brake test brings. I mean, this this whole season we've had... I mean, we how often do we hear from Michael Massey that every incident has to be judged on its own merits? I mean, we by doing this, the FIA or Massey, the stewards, however you want to look at it, so many grey areas have crept into the regulations because... 
oh, but the corner was like this, or oh, there was gravel there, or this happened, that happened, or this this didn't happen. Um, so many grey areas have been created that the drivers don't know what the rules are. The team team principals, the team managers don't know what the rules are anymore. There's all these questions that get thrown up week in, week out, and we're sat here trying to make head nor tail of it. Um, and it's they need to for next year. I want to see the rules set in stone. I know they're not doing the big overhaul that they wanted to do. That's that's going to come in a year's time. But they need to be either we follow the rules to the letter or these are the grey areas. These are the bits of exemption. They just need to be very, very clear from the offset so that we don't suddenly get... I mean, um, Toto Wolf described the instance at Turn 1 with Max and Lewis. He described them as mini versions of what happened in Brazil with drivers running off the track. In Brazil, there was no punishment. Here, Max has to let Lewis back through and gets a five-second penalty for the same crime. So, how are we supposed to know what the consistency is? How are drivers supposed to know what they can do? It needs to be cleared up. Well, this was the interesting thing with that penalisation as well, because the five-second penalty came in, and even the TV broadcast was saying... What incident is that five second penalty for? As the race was finishing, people still didn't know at that point and there was still another 10 seconds to come. And to then stack a double penalty on one move when he's already given the position back as well. I don't recall that happening at all this season. And correct me if I'm wrong, you, you guys are far more in tune, so to speak, to use the engine pun than I am. But it, it seemed really interesting that the FIA would penalise Max twice for that incident rather than say, well, he's allowed Hamilton to have the position back. He's done what we asked him to do. And Max did it a number of times he tried to let Lewis through, as as we've seen already. The FIA seemed to be totally all over the place with some of their decision-making. And Ewan pointed out as well the 10-second penalty at the end for a perceived brake test, which not only seems, as Ewan says, perhaps not harsh enough for, for something like that on that track, but also it, it seems to me like it was just a, well... Give him a penalty just to say that we've given him a penalty because we've seen the telemetry and it needs to be a brake test. But it's not a penalty that's actually going to penalise him. It's not going to change the outcome of the race as well. It seemed like they were doing it for the sake of giving the penalty to be looking like they're dealing with the incident. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these, but it just seemed completely all over the place on Sunday. Ollie's on his soapbox there. Hey, get you, Ollie. <laughs> You wanted to get that one off your chest, didn't you? <laughs> oh, there's there's so much more to get off the chest. Don't worry. After Sunday, it's plenty more to come. <laughs> I mean, the problem is that F1 is overregulated. We've got too many rules, and, and Christian again said the, exactly the same thing post race. And more than likely, in the wake of this, now we'll probably find another rule on top of, an, of one of the original rules, and then we've got something else to try and think about going forward. And but as you pointed out, Lolly, yeah, it's it's just gotten. Become a farce in some respects, hasn't it? What that some of these, some of these situations that we've uh, gone through this season, and obviously it's been a brilliant season in so many respects. Probably one of the best ever in Formula One history. I think we'll all reflect on that uh, as being such when we when we finally come out of this campaign. But also we're going to look back at it and think as well. Blimey, some of those things that went on there. That what was that for? Why did that happen? Uh, and it shouldn't be like that. We, there should be black and white, but as Sam's pointed out, there are too many grey areas at the moment. And the FIA and the stewards seem to be wrapping themselves up in all kinds of knots. 
and Michael Massey coming out with, this, with the line after pretty much every Grand Prix, we take each incident on its merits at that particular time. So it, they deal with each incident in isolation. So in other words, they try not to compare it to anything else that's gone before, whereas we, the outsiders, shall we say, we are comparing because we can see those similarities. So they just look at that particular incident and they think, right, whatever's gone before, whatever might come in the future, this is what we're looking at here and now, and this is this rule, this regulation, and this penalty or otherwise that we are going to apply to it. But because of that, because they're treating each incident in isolation, because we do have these previous incidents that have gone before, and we think, well, hold on a second, this happened, that's where this grey areas come in. As far as the FIA and Michael Massey is concerned, it's black and it's white because they are just looking at that incident and that incident alone, regardless of anything else that's ever happened beforehand. I think, I mean, we had a bit of a tombola about who was going to start where for the restart as well, didn't we? And from my side, and I don't know whether this is a little bit harsh on the FIA, but from my side, I feel like they're trying to do right and ending up wrong. I think there is so much focus on this Verstappen-Hamilton battle. Mazzy's got it from all angles with uh, Ron Meadows and Jonathan Wheatley constantly bickering on the radio that we are now lucky enough to hear between the FIA and the teams. And it, I feel like by trying not to get involved in the title fight, they are opening up so many cans of worms that are then actually playing to the detriment of the sport. And they've sort of dug themselves that hole that is now so difficult to get out. You know, we've mentioned the turn one being like Brazil. Well, how, you know, we're journalists. Our job is to convey the story from the racetrack to the viewers and, and the audience. But if people, you know, like us, you know, like Ian, who's been in the sport so long, Sam's been in it longer than me. You know, if, if we don't know why one incident is a penalty and one isn't a penalty even though they're basically exactly the same thing then how are the teams meant to know how are the FIA themselves meant to know how are the viewers meant to know um yeah I, I, if it feels like they're just trying not to get involved in in the title fight and actually maybe it needs a little bit of turning around swearing at the teams to tell them to just shut up and uh, get on with it Say this is the rule. You're getting penalised if you mess up. That's your fault. You know, I to take it away from F1 for the moment. And Nigel Owens, a really famous rugby referee, uh, I, he famously said once, you know, referees get really shouted at by fans if they send someone off in the first half of a rugby match. And what he said was, is it's not my fault that you got sent off. It's your fault for messing up for for being ill-disciplined you know it's not the FIA's fault if they have to make a championship defining decision if a driver acts dangerously or makes a mistake or if a team makes a mistake in the pit lane you know that's all part of the pressure of F1 so you know it'll be interesting to see what the FIA do if something happens in Abu Dhabi do they try and stay out of it and carry on with this sort of let them race attitude or do they come down hard and fast with the penalties and potentially, you know, if they need to, make that championship-defining decision? My favourite moment of the entire weekend was Red Bull being told by Michael Massey or offered by Michael Massey, look, if you just move back to, as he said at the time, 
move back one place on the grid and then you know we'll, we'll be fine and red bull made the very they made the mistake of saying just to check that's p2 so still ahead of hamilton if they hadn't have checked that and they had accepted the offer they would have been quite within their rights to say we've moved back the position that you offered we don't get a penalty for that because we've done what you asked we're still ahead of lewis it's not our fault you fault you messed up um but it just all seemed on the flyer this weekend and i really hope the championship doesn't get defined and decided by an off-the-cuff decision that makes no sense like i hate to say it, a lot of them that we've seen this year that that just I was going to say that that deal or no deal thing for me was the biggest farce of the entire Grand Prix. Yeah. Michael Massey is the race director. He is, as Ewan's pointed out, with referring to Nigel Owens, the referee of that particular race, just like Nigel was a referee of a particular game. His word should be law. He should not be sitting there having a debate with the two uh, sporting directors slash team managers of Mercedes and Red Bull, determining who's lining up where on the grid. He should be saying to them that he's there, he's there, he's there. That's it. End of. It's a bit like, it's a bit like I've drawn an analogy, a bit like uh, in a football match, if you think about it, or a the game, for Ewan's perspective, being because he's Welsh. Uh, <laughs> a bit like uh, a referee saying, uh, right, fellas, that, that's a free kick. And then the players come up to him and say, well, hold on a second. Yeah, it was a free kick, but I think we should place the ball here. And the referee going, oh, hold on. Um, well, yeah, no, maybe we just move it there a bit. And the, then the player going away said, hold on, I'll come back to you in a minute when I've spoken to my manager. Which was effectively what Jonathan Wheatley was doing yesterday when he came out with exactly the same thing, saying, I'll think about that and come back to you in a minute. Michael Massey should be saying, no, this is what you're doing. End of discussion. For me there, I have the utmost respect for Michael because I think he's got one of the toughest jobs in sport, particularly this kind of season and the way it's gone and the incidents that we've had. Uh, but for me there, I don't know whether there was this weight of pressure that has been brought to bear on him throughout this entire campaign, but I just think he lacked all, um, all authority, all officialdom there. And at a time when... F1 needs it most when we're coming to this denouement in the season. That's when he needs to be clamping down hard and really making hard and fast decisions. And he didn't do so during that Grand Prix as far as I can see. Just before we properly chew on the actual championship fight, which is obviously the main story that we're all eager to discuss here. Ian, do you? I agree with you. I have utmost respect for Michael and I. it's a hugely difficult job. In that moment... Has his job become untenable? Has has he lost? Because for me, as the referee, as we all agree, he is the referee. His word is law. You cannot be saying, if you do this, you don't have to do this. Or, do you want to do this? And, I mean, has, has, he, lost, has he lost control? I mean, I, I just don't see how you can come back from making offers like this. I, re I personally think he's... He's got to be questioning his role and others above him may be questioning that for him. Yeah, I'm going to make two points on that. The first one is this. After that race last night, and ordinarily um, in attending a Grand Prix, the media there uh, get to speak to Michael. 
That didn't happen last night. And I don't think he was avoiding anything. Uh, let me just make that pretty clear. I think what happened last night was, uh, or Sunday night, uh, let's put it that way, that um, Stewart's verdict on the Verstappen 10-second penalty for the brake uh, testing or erratic braking, that didn't come out until about 2 a.m. local time. So I don't think... Uh, I think they were. I think the FAA made the call that they would not put Michael up at that particular time late at night. But just to get back to what I was originally going to say, I'd already got it in my head uh, if we were going to speak to Michael to ask him whether he felt he was still the right man for the job, given the difficulties he's faced this season. Whether I will get that opportunity to ask that question or whether somebody else will get that opportunity to ask that question in Abu Dhabi remains to be seen. But also... When Horner came out post-race and said last night, or again on Sunday night, F1 misses Charlie Whiting. That, for me, uh, if you read between the lines, kind of indicates from Horner's perspective that he no longer feels that Massey is doing an effective enough job. And perhaps so there needs to be a change. It? it was hugely damning. It was a statement comment. Uh, you know, Charlie was Charlie was hugely authoritative. You know, his word was law. He he commanded that respect, but he made it. But more precisely, he made definitive decisions. He he wouldn't have dithered and dallied like Michael did, as I say, during that deal or no deal exchange with Jonathan Wheatley and Ron Meadows yesterday. That would never have happened in in Charlie's day. He would have said, "You're here. You're there. You're there." And that would have been it. Nobody would have argued with him. And I think Michael has lost, as I say, some of that authority. I think these guys now, they feel that they can come back at him and almost make him question his decision. And then it becomes uh, this conversation. And it shouldn't be like that, as, as we've discussed quite extensively already here. We will see what happens. I thought there was a very, very telling message right at the start of the weekend to back up Ian's statement there. I thought it was a very telling message at the start of the weekend. About five minutes into the first practice session, Ron Meadows from Mercedes came on the radio to Michael Mazzi. Congratulations to the FIA and everyone at the circuit for getting this circuit ready. And it almost felt like they were trying to get in bed with the FIA just in case anything happened. It did. Do you, do, do you know what I mean? It it was almost like a, right. We're going to butt you up now. Uh, you you can be nice to us later later it, on. It was a weird one, wasn't it? And the fact it that was, it was yeah. played out as well. Mm. It was just like it was a truly nauseating comment. For I just like what? But the other problem that comes from that whole, you know, you're starting here, you're starting there thing, is if that was on a more normal circuit, and I've got a theory about this as well with Red Bull, but if I was on a, a more normal circuit, for anyone who can see, um, I think Red Bull would have said, no, you're all right, we'll start first, thanks. Because what would they have got? A five-second penalty, of, as we've seen. Verstappen would have just launched it down the road. And I think it was a sign of weakness from Red Bull, actually, saying that they're happy to go third. Because I think at that point, they must have thought that they were going to struggle to win that race or, or at least streak away from Hamilton like we've seen Verstappen do so often this season. Um, because they, with Ocon second as well, they could have started first, absolutely romped away with it and then taken the five seconds and gone, happy days, we've got the win, thank you very much. So, um, 
but yeah, the the team shouldn't get that choice, as Ian rightly said. It should be a uh, an authoritative decision. You are starting here because you did this. Well, it's interesting as well that Christian Horner was well had that discussion with the stewards for singling out individuals and decision makings around the track, and then he launches that comment in that is without a doubt singling out Michael Massey as well. I'm surprised there hasn't been more discussion about Horner getting dragged in by his ankles once more into uh, into the stewards' room, and unfortunately not our stewards' room, because I'd love to have a chat with Christian Horner about some of that as well at some point. Um, the other thing with Michael Massey is the moment when he was saying to Mercedes about the incident between Hamilton and Verstappen where Hamilton goes into the back of him on uh, lap 38, and he made the comment of, I've told Red Bull and I've only got so many buttons I can press, which sounded just like somebody that is in a complete dither in that moment. Of like, oh, I've only got so many buttons I can press while I'm talking to everybody. Couldn't he have not spoken to both teams at the same time, perhaps, while doing that? Right. With this, I mean, <laughs> I've got... It, you, Ewan knows exactly where I'm going with this. Yep. The best race of the motorsport calendar happened on... Saturday night into Sunday the Bathurst 1000 supercars just far superior to any F1 we've seen so far this year I mean I work in it but I don't have to love it as much but um, no um, (laughs) on that the race director Tim Shankin he has a button where he can communicate to all teams at the same time whenever a driver has a penalty he hits that button and he'll say pit lane penalty car 99 or whatever everyone hears it the TV hears it all live and every single person watching involved whatever everyone hears it at the same time and we hear those decisions every single decision is heard on form in formula one we're sitting there hitting refresh 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 waiting for a decision to be given and i mean no what they don't communicate it at the same time so a massive will go right i'm going to contact red bull now i'm going to contact mercedes now why, if there isn't a button to communicate to everyone at the same time, why isn't there? And how soon can we get one put in? Because Supercars has got this absolutely nailed, and it's a national championship. If if a national championship can get this sorted, why can't the biggest international championship in the world get this one nailed? I'll get off my soapbox now. I'm done. <laughs> because the reason being, Sam, is because they've only just come into the 21st century, if you think about it. F1 was so far behind uh, in terms of um, its projection. But Massey was supercars before. Massey was supercars, and now he's in F1. Why has he not bought this? But he I, knows it. But as I was saying, mate, F1 was so far behind for so long in terms of its projection as a sport into the wider world. I and mean, obviously we're talking uh, social media and all that kind of stuff. It never happened because Bernie was in charge. You know, it was this little club uh this little goldfish bowl as well uh, and everybody else looked in from the outside but f1 was just doing its own thing because bernie was in charge and he ruled the roost then liberty media come along they could see all the faults that f1 had entire in terms of trying to project it to the masses and slowly over a period of time they've added little bits here and little bits there and obviously for the first time this season and it is only for the first time in this particular season We've finally been getting these broadcasts now between pit wall and the FIA, which we've never, ever had before. So I think they're still trying, in some respects, they're still trying to 
work out what might work, what can we broadcast, what can't we broadcast, what do we need to, um, how do we need to project ourselves. So I think that's why we're not getting this um, uh, wider arching um, messaging, as you've just talked about there, that goes on in supercars. Perhaps that might come in time and there will be far more broadcasts uh, relayed in the future. But for now, I still think it's that little toe in the water from F1 as to seeing, is this right? Should we play this? Should we not play this? Because they're obviously aware, because it's more of a global sport as well, no disrespect to supercars, that every little nuance of what is what does go out in a radio message gets picked up by us, the media, as well as hundreds of millions of fans globally around the world and all of a sudden it's projected on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, etc. So they're obviously a little bit aware as well, I would have thought of that social media reflection as well on them as to what works and what doesn't. But I tell you what, the pit wall where the radios, you see every so often the close-ups of the radios and the buttons that they can press to talk to different individuals around their team, etc. I've worked with very similar pieces of equipment like that you can press multiple buttons at once and talk to three or four people at the same time. Michael Massey has at least two index fingers. There's probably a button that says Red Bull team and a button that says Mercedes team, and he just needs to go blip. Max has got to let Lewis by. That's all that needs to happen. And it didn't happen, and it was a weird situation, which then had him kind of fumbling a bit like a, an old granddad with technology. Oh, I've got so many buttons. I, don't, I have so many fingers to press. All you need oh, is goodness. one index finger and one button that says to all. all. Yeah. What what did Ollie have for breakfast? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to give He's any free one, sponsors. I'm giving no free sponsorship. Out. Look, let's talk about the track if you really want to get me going on one. Um, let's talk about the title fight. Uh, you and F1 has perhaps what it wants. Liberty Media, I'm sure, has exactly what they want. The two drivers' championship rivals are level on points going into the final race in Abu Dhabi. Ian hinted at it earlier. Toto Wolff has hinted at it about how he doesn't want the title to be finished because of some sort of collision. Are we going to see that going into Abu Dhabi, though? I mean, this is Prost Senna. Max knows what he needs to do. And there's almost a great irony that Hamilton talks so much about the legacy of Senna and reveres him so much as a driver he looked up to. And, you know, these two could have a very similar finish to a title battle. They might do. They they might do. I mean, like like I said earlier, we've seen quite clearly from the way that Max races, and for the most part, I quite like it. Uh, yeah, I thought his move down the inside of Hamilton and Ocon on Sunday was superb. That was a good side of Max. The move that got him penalised was the bad side of Max, and and one that needs to get sorted out quickly. That's how he races. He races on the edge of his seat. And I think we're going to see that again because he can afford to. That's the that's the crucial part of this. He can afford to. Now, Lewis, as I said earlier, can't afford that crash. So, luckily in Abu Dhabi, there's plenty of runoff that he can turn right into or left into. Um, so, I don't think we'll get a collision. I, I really don't. I, th- I think there's enough space for them to avoid that. What I do think is that if Verstappen is ahead or within striking distance, we will see something very close to a collision because, uh, as I said, Max has got that liberty to be able to go for it. Now, what he's got to do is if he does get into that situation, he's got to be very careful that if there is contact, it's not him that is 
uh, affected by it and, and Hamilton can get away with it because that would be absolutely disastrous. That's not what we want to see. It'll be very 97 Schumacher feel nerve. So, um, yeah, it, I can't wait. It's been potentially the best ever season. I'm sure that will be up for debate. I think for me, the fact you've got two drivers absolutely at the top of the game. I mean, again, they were just chasing each other relentlessly. Relentlessly. So far better than anybody else on that race circuit. And we've seen that across the last five or six races. Uh, absolutely. I mean, take allegiance aside. You step back, you look at them, you think, just wow, because they are that good. Um, and it'll be a shame to see someone lose it, actually. It really will. I think they both deserve it. They've both been absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I gotta agree with that. It's just been phenomenal racing from the pair of them. Uh, just sensational driving, as as Ewan said. They're in a class of their own. Forget the other eighteen drivers on the track at the minute. They're just out of sight. Every Grand Prix now we've been to. I mean, Max's lap, uh, qualifying lap on on Saturday. You know, bar that last turn. That literally was another one of those lap of the gods. You know, we always talk about Hamilton. It was the best I've seen. Hamilton, Singapore, uh, 2018, guys, am I right? There, which, yeah. Yeah, 20, uh, that, that was another one. That was yeah. that was going to be right up there, you, which you would have replayed over and over again and just looked at it and thought, how on earth? Because he was on course to be a good few tenths clear of Lewis. And Lewis, you could see, was on the ragged edge with his own lap as well that eventually got him the pole position. But just that little... Little slap on the wall, and that was it. But up until that point, it was magnificent, and that just shows where these two guys are at the moment. Great driving, and I just hope they do keep it clean for next weekend. I really do because this season deserves that. It doesn't need to be one in the stewards' room. It doesn't need to be run uh, one with somebody forced wide and coming off several cars back. It doesn't need to be won by somebody going into a barrier. No, we want to see now a good, clean end to this season because that would be, really be the cherry on the cake for it, absolutely. As you're saying, it doesn't need to be won that way, but given the season that we've had and the amount of time we've spent speaking about the stewards and the amount of clash, high-profile clashes between the two of them, I mean, Saudi Arabia was a bit of a taster crash compared to Silverstone or Monza, for example. Um, so I mean it would be wholly appropriate for it to end like it but I don't obviously none of us do want it to end like that in my gut I do have a nasty feeling that it's going to end this way Um, and something's going to happen whether it's um, a failed attempt like Schumacher against Villeneuve or a successful one maybe like Senna against Prost or Schumacher against Hill maybe Um, there's been a few through the years Um. I've I've got a nasty feeling it's going to end in a way that will leave a slightly more a majorly bitter taste in someone's mouth. Um but yeah, it's whether it's one of the whether it is the best season we've ever seen, I think at the moment we all live in the moment, we've got to, it's our job. So February, March next year, when we're looking back on it, I've still got a feeling we're gonna class it as one of, if not the greatest championship of all time um i think the job red bull's done this year can't be underestimated coming back even with regulatory help over the winter essentially um red bull coming back the job max has done and they're just on such a different level as you and said the, these two drivers are 
seconds quicker than anyone else. Even Bottas and Perez are absolutely no slouches as drivers, and they're being complete. They're being made to look like fools. I mean, mm-hmm. Perez didn't have the greatest of, of weekends at all, and it ended in in the walls. But I mean, Bottas, we know he can't overtake in traffic, but he was nowhere, absolutely mm-hmm. nowhere until the end of the race. Um, so yeah, look, this, this fight at least is one of the best. As for the season, that 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 can uh, be decided later on in probably in the Christmas podcast or something. You never know. We might treat you. <laughs> what sit down on Christmas Day, listening to the four of us? What else do you want to do on your Christmas back Day? Over <laughs> I'm the sure. Last 12 I'm sure people have got. Yeah, I'm sure people have got much so better much things to do than listen to us. Yeah. yeah. Queen speech, GP fan stewards are in podcasts. Which one are you going to go with? Which one is it going to be? Do you want the Queen or do you want Ian? I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I want to throw this one out there quickly because you mentioned uh, Perez and Bottas being made to perhaps look like fools, as you called it, Sam. But those two are going to have a huge, important role potentially in this last race of the season, aren't they? Because whoever, I mean, if you can, if Red Bull can get a one and three on the grid with Hamilton sandwiched in the middle. Firstly, there's definitely the discussion of Sergio, send it. Send it and see what happens, because that's there's no worry for us at that point. But also, the tactics game over the full course of the race as well. It's going to be imperative. And it's all about the Drivers' Championship now, really, for Red Bull. The constructors pretty much out of the window. Well, Red Bull have got four drivers, haven't they? I mean, no, they've only got two drivers. They've definitely not <laughs> got four, have they? Well, just remember that we almost had some Red Bull on Red Bull contact into Turn 1 as well. And I bet Sergio Perez was the most worried person on the planet. Because he would have he would have had a fella called Dr. Helmut Marco to go and see after the race. And he, he would have had a car for next year. Yeah, he, he would have been so scared seeing that right front tyre locking up. Um, yeah, I mean... As, as, as we said, they're being made to look like fools. They were third and fourth before the red flag. So, you know, um, that's how good the front two are. Bottas has done his job. By by coming third in that race, he's done his job. Um, securing the money, as Christian Horn has described it, the money championship. Um, now you've got the prestige championship to get. Is it going to be Lewis or Max? And again, you know, what can the second drivers do? Even if they can get ahead for two or three laps just to allow their front man to get the buffer. You know, that, that, that'll be crucial. We've seen it before in Abu Dhabi, you know, Alonso and Vettel in 20, 2010 it was, wasn't it, when Vettel, uh, when, when Alonso got stuck behind Petrov. So, um, yeah, I, I, I get the feeling that Valtteri might be more up with Lewis than Sergio will be with Max based on the last two races. Um, but, We've been surprised before. All we they've got be to do is again. stay within 20 seconds. 20, 20 to 25 seconds. When Lewis or Max pits, just hold up the other one. Just hold them up. And just we, We've seen how easy it is to hold up a car here. I mean, Lewis tried holding up Nico Rosberg for the whole race in 2016 before, and successfully. Um, Vitaly Petrov, as Ewan mentioned, successfully, just because it was race position, holding up Fernando Alonso before. Um, it's it's doable here. The caveat is they've changed the track dramatically, so I mean we've now got two banked hairpins at essentially either end of the the course, taking away two fairly heavy braking zones, i.e. passing opportunities, which were rare on that track as it was. Um, 
so yeah, it's they they have a big role, but I think their role is more go put the hard tires on as early as you can and just go long. They might even in try and get through Q2 on dare I say it, would either of them dare to try and get through Q2 on the hard tire? Bottas could probably do it. Um and then you're in prime position just to hold up Max. Um I I can see it happening. That'd be punchy. That'd be very punchy indeed. Just quickly on the on the track, I know Ian's got to get away and get gallivanting across to Abu Dhabi in his preparation for next weekend's Grand Prix. But uh, just quickly on the track at Jeddah, the fastest street circuit, the second fastest circuit on the F1 calendar this year. Was it just a time trial track, though? Is it not a race car track? Is it just a qualifying venue? And is it perhaps a little bit too dangerous to stick 20 F1 cars on that on a racing Sunday? I'm going to turn that question back around to you, Ollie, because you said you've got to be in your bonnet about this, mate. So let, well, let's, it, it let's start with you. Let's give us your, oh, thoughts, give us your thoughts first and then we'll go from yeah. there. It's a track that's asking for all of the problems that we had this weekend in terms of the litany of debris around the track at so many different spots. When you had Alonso talking on the radio about we can't have a virtual safety car, we need an actual safety car just to be able to pick this up because the drivers were so spread out. You're looking at a track that is incredible to watch. And you mentioned that Verstappen near perfect lap in Q3. But it's so anxiety inducing. I keep using that in the discussion of this race weekend because it was almost horrible to watch the how close you have to go to be that quick around that circuit and how close those drivers are willing to push it. It's asking for a major incident at some point in its history. A major incident far worse than anything we've seen this weekend, I think, at this point. It looks too lethal to have 20 cars on it going at that pace and risking it like that. We had experienced drivers losing it at various turns throughout the weekend. It's exciting, but I think it's just pushing the boundaries of excitement and enjoyment because it, it created it was a big reason why we had this almost farcical race weekend where some people say it was great action but actually it, it wasn't a great Grand Prix as Sam started this podcast with it wasn't a great racing Grand Prix it was exciting because of all the kind of paraphernalia around it I just I didn't enjoy it as a racing track at all it's thrilling to watch people push it to the limit but for 20 cars on it you're asking for those sorts of incidents that we had yeah great observations mate I think the problem with this venue was that it was a rush job. They only started constructing it in April. And Formula One, or this weekend in particular, was the guinea pig event. Now, ordinarily, if you think about it, when many new venues are created, you have test events at those, at those circuits, football stadia, rugby stadia, whatever. There are always test events before the main event comes in. So at least then you can see where the problems lie. And I think the fact that there was nothing beforehand, you know, they were still, well, the circuit itself was finished, quite obviously. They were still doing stuff behind the scenes. There was a huge amount of work going on behind the scenes to get this, this track ready. The paddock club wasn't finished. Heaven forbid the paddock club wasn't finished. But, you know, that's, that's where Formula One earns a lot of its bread and butter over a course of a Grand Prix weekend in terms of its hosting. Um, so if, I think if they'd had that test event, then they might have been able to at least have erased a few of the issues, maybe not all, but certainly a few of the issues that we saw across the weekend. So now going forward, and we're only three months, well, just a little over three months away from when we come back here again, uh, we will see, I think, those changes 
that should have been made coming into this weekend made for that particular weekend, whether it's moving some walls back so drivers have got a better sight line into certain corners or whatever. But I do think they've realised that, yeah, this circuit needs a few tweaks, tweaks in inverted commas, here and there. So I'm sure there'll be much more work undertaken over the course of the next few months to get it ready. And after that event, then let's make a better judgment call. But as you say, right now, Ollie, it was not an ideal venue for Formula One racing. And you could sense from the drivers as well, their opinion of the track over the course of the weekend changed from day to day. And obviously they came out of, the, uh, a few of the drivers obviously came out of the, the race itself thinking, oh, hold on a second, yeah, we need to look at some changes now because there are certain areas that aren't right. And I think we're going to have a discussion on Friday, Abu Dhabi and the driver's briefing between the drivers and Michael Massey. And they'll be making their suggestions. And then he will hopefully go away over the winter and make his suggestions to the circuit people to get it right for next March. Just because I know that Ewan doesn't agree with much of what you've said there, um, I'll jump in in between. Um, because no, for me, it's I think Ollie summed it up really nicely, actually. For me, it's a time trial circuit. Um, it, it's great for absolutely gunning it around, getting as close to the walls as you can. But as a racetrack, I think it leaves a lot to be desired um, because, as we saw, there wasn't too much overtaking. When there was a move, it was spectacular because the speed's involved. But, I mean, it was the main thrill of this race came because the championship permutations or possible permutations from any incidents. And there's a reason that we spent so much time looking at Lewis and Max and not at anything else that was happening. Because I suspect if you were watching those on boards, there wasn't a lot happening. Um, I th personally, I th I think the speeds are too high for the concrete walls they've got there. They need. To, I don't know how you address that because it's as it was marketed, the world's fastest street track. Um, whether you believe it's a street track or not, they used to be streets and they've edited the streets around it. It's not really a street track anymore. Um, but yeah, no, it's. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do to it for next year because there's going to be some changes, as Ian said. And as Lando Norris pointed out before the race, he really hoped there wasn't an I told you so crash. Well, we got that with after Perez was spun round by Leclerc when Mazepin rear-ended George Russell and lifted the Williams into the air. We got that moment that the drivers were all fearing and it could have been even worse. Um mm. I mean, we saw an injury in the F2 race um, to Enzo Fittipaldi, but that accident, with greater respect, has to be disregarded from this conversation because that could have happened at any track. Any track in the world, a car could have stalled on the grid and you go into them. I mean, so I'm just mentioning it to cover it off from anyone in the comments going, oh, but what about this? This was dangerous. No, that that was anywhere. That that one's not in this conversation. Yeah, and that's, that that really brings me on to where I sort of disagree with what people have said here. Is that, that for me, it's, I love the track. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I understand that maybe that kink through turn three no, can be flatter so that you've got a bit more vision for the drivers coming out of turn two. And I think there's a few areas that, the kinks can be turned out. Keep the corners as they are because they're exhilarating. But no, there's some needless blind spots um, on the track. So totally agree with that. That's fine. You know, safety is uh, is key. But you know, 
where we saw the spin in the middle of the pack and Mazepin going into the back of Russell, that can happen at an awful lot of circuits on the calendar. And I think the scary part of that is more to do with the low noses that the cars have rather than uh, the circuit. Because, I mean, let's face it, if, if you've got problems with that, we stop going to Monaco now. If you can't go to Jeddah because of it, you stop going to Baku, you stop going to Australia, you stop going to Canada. All of those tracks where you've got now, even Imola has got, you know, if you're thinking about out of Aqua Minerale up to the up to the chicane at the top of the hill, that's really narrow as well. So, you know, how many tracks do you get rid of? In that case, that's not a Jeddah-specific thing, a car spinning in the middle of the track. You know, uh, Mick Schumacher, speaking to him on Saturday, he was worried about where science spanning qualifying. Um, the fact that he came back onto the racetrack. How many racetracks have we got where there's chicanes with runoff areas that you can spin have a moment and come back onto the track that's not Jeddah specific either but you and uh, what is Jeddah specific is the speeds that's what they're saying about because the one that I'll go I'll refer to you was actually um in British F3 several years ago um Billy Munger car, yeah pe- car stopped on the track but that was at Donington Park with tons oh. of tons of space yes. around it extreme all of these speeds, things are circumstantial that's, that's what i'm meaning the high speeds where there's nowhere for this car to go it's a freak incident there so do you stop racing at monza then you have to you have do to you stop racing at monza but there are concrete walls lining monza as, as mm. you as you say you and well no but it's still you, narrow from ascari down to as, parabolica but there's no concrete say, walls you push, the, you push the barriers back slightly and what are the drivers going to do? They're still going to run up to those barriers and ex- exploit the track limits. But You've we saw, to... but we saw at Monza. And this is my point on Monza. We saw at Monza a few years ago the whole Stroll Vettel thing when Vettel spat. You know, at considerably lower speeds. Ascari is still a fast corner. It's still going to be a nasty shunt. Is my point. You know, just because there's 30, 40 mile an hour off, it doesn't mean it's not going to be a nasty crash. So, you, you know, it, there are plenty of examples of fast chicanes on the calendar where you can have a spin and come back onto the track, is my point. You know, of course it's dangerous, and of course, you know, we've got to get the safety absolutely as safe as possible, but my point being is, it's not a Jeddah-specific problem. No, if you're going to make changes because of that, you, there's a lot of other circuits you've got to look at. And in fairness, you know, the, the action point or the danger point that we recognize going into the weekend me and you talked about it sam having played the game you know if we're getting scared on the game fair enough turn 22 23 the safer barriers there that they've brought over from indycar and the tech pro barriers absolutely did their job there were two crashes in f1 schumacher and leclerc there was poor share in f2 in in either qualifying or race one as well you know they were big crashes and all three drivers got straight out of the cars you know the safety infrastructure that was in place absolutely did its job, and those barriers there did absorb the car, as we saw. Yeah. So those absorbed the car, but it's I I give you um Spa Eau Rouge where they're actually making changes, like you're saying that other tracks will have to make their changes. Spa is making considerable changes to stop. Exactly what you're saying isn't a Jeddah specific problem. Cars yeah. bouncing back onto the track. And so if and this is my point to adapt to it. Jeddah as a new track should be built to avoid having to adapt to it because it's a it's one thing having existing facilities that go you go no you've got to change we can't be having this so what do you do at Baku what do you do at Baku with them sweepers at the end of the lap 
back Gents. is a genuine street track. It's a Gents, genuine we, street track. Unluck this. We can argue this until the cows come home. And uh, Ian is probably looking at his watch, going, "There's a plane obviously taking off at some point soon today, and needs to get out of the hotel." I'm flying tomorrow, <laughs> mate. So Tuesday. Oh, so you got time. You've got time then, hanging out by the pool. Twenty-four hours extra on the podcast, boys. <laughs> right. While he hasn't got a plane, I just want to say as well, though, the racing in F2 in race one was all right. So I would reserve racing judgment in terms of racing action until we've got the new cars, as we've caveated. Uh, well, all the way through the season and I just want to say for the record Ali sorry mate I just want to say for the record no no just to conclude I actually didn't say I didn't I actually never said that I don't dislike the track I actually did like that track I thought it was a great track all I suggested was there are a few tweaks yes. as the drivers have also suggested there are a few tweaks that need to be made to it to ensure that it is uh, a safer place to race in March because it made the drivers and the cars look like heroes again you know, we talked about agility of the cars and, and how the cars don't look as fast as they used to. They looked stunning uh, around our track, and I think that's that's a plus point. Genuinely petrifying to watch on a TV from the comfort of your sofa. Would not like to be in one of those cars at any point going around the Jeddah street to. circuit. <laughs> Let's see uh, what people think in the comments section below on YouTube and all good podcasting outlets where you can find the GP Fan Stewards Room podcast. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube or just like, rate and review the podcast on all good podcasting outlets and anchor.fm our host. That gets us up in the rankings and it keeps the debates continuing into next season. Gentlemen, you can of course follow all of these three on at GP Fans Global, Twitter and Instagram for all of their musings around the world of Formula One going into the final race of the season. But I'm going to leave it with one final word from each of you who this time next week is going to be the driver's champion. Ewan? Max. Sam. Lewis. Ian. Lewis. I'll just go 50-50. It's Max. Don't worry, it's on the fence.